All right, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 today, verses 3 through 14. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Now, I'm going to read this section. We'll see how far we get in this uh, tonight. Um, but we're going to be looking at quite a bit of uh, Scripture tonight, and we're going to look at some deep theology. So be ready to wrestle with Scriptures tonight. And again, everything I'm about to share with you, I want you to examine against the Scriptures. Never, 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 never take any preacher's word for it, even if you like that preacher. Don't just assume. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 and following, to not treat prophecies with contempt. In other words, take serious what you're hearing from the preachers. But then he says, test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God. Acts chapter 17, verse 11, the scripture says that the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Why? Because they didn't just assume what Paul said was right. They checked everything that he said against the scriptures. Folks, I want you to do the same thing. We're going to be dealing with the issue and the wrestling issue of predestination and free will and all that stuff as we deal with this passage today. And we'll begin to move into that. And the passage we're going to be looking at has been used over the years to teach a doctrine that I don't believe matches with the whole of Scripture. And so I want to kind of teach you tonight the importance of looking at the context of a passage. When you study a passage of Scripture, I want you to look at the context. Who were they writing? to? What was the purpose of the writing? In the context, what were they saying? And once you think you know what the context is saying and the interpretation is, now you need to then double check that against the whole of Scripture. Because if what you think is the interpretation from that context doesn't match with the whole of Scripture, you can't have a correct interpretation because God wrote the whole thing. And so this will help us become people who understand the Scriptures and know what the Scriptures are really saying. It'll keep us from error. It'll keep us from being tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching. Because as you know, there are people out there who can take a verse here and a verse there, and they can convince you of things. If you don't know the whole of Scripture, you'll fall prey to that. And I don't want you to assume, well, Jim knows the word. I'll take his word for it. No, you're going to stand before God for what he showed you. And he's, I'm going to stand for God, before God for what I teach. You're going to stand before God for what it is that you were given. And you can't say, well, I only got what Jim gave me. That's no. You've been given the spirit of God within you to teach you. And you can read for yourself. We've been blessed in America with a lot of us have like five or six Bibles in our house. Um, so as we begin to look at this, I want you to be ready now to wrestle with what is this passage really saying? And once you get there, I can't wait to show you. It's pretty cool. Ephesians chapter one, verse three says, blessed be the God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved in him. We have redemption. Through, the, through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on, upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is also the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, as you already understand, as I sat and read all that to you, we're not getting that far tonight. <laughs> You know that, but that's okay. What we're going to do is we're going to pick up where we left off in verse three, verse three, because uh, you remember how last time we were together, we looked at how we are in Christ if we are saved and how uh, it, because we're in Christ, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we talked about that a little bit where we left off, but I want to kind of focus finishing up on verse three tonight. And I want you to see something here. The term in Christ refers not only to our position, which we looked at last time we were together, but also to the fact that Jesus is the center of God's purpose of redemption. Now, I want you to, to listen and make sure you don't miss this here. Jesus is the center of God's purpose of redemption, not you. And I want you to see this because this will help you understand how to interpret this passage a little bit better. And so go with me to Ephesians 1. Listen again to verses 9 and 10. All right. In verses 9 and 10, look at what it says. 
It says, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, according to this passage, what is God's plan that has been planned all along and is going to be fulfilled in the fullness of time? What is going to happen? When, what's he going to do with Jesus? He's going to what? He's going to unite all things in him. The center of everything in the universe is Jesus. Go ahead. Exactly. It's all about him. And that's the focus. Now, if you understand that, it'll help you understand the awesome blessing of the fact that we have been united with him. If he is the center, yet we get to be co-heirs and we get to be united with him, there, that already starts giving us a little bit of a glimpse of the fact that there must be some pretty cool heavenly blessings and spiritual blessings. But look, look also at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. He goes on and says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Folks, I want you to see as we really start to dive into this, this plan of God is actually a bigger plan than, well, a lot of us grew up in the church, you know, you know, Matthew 5, the Bible says, Jesus was speaking and he says, do your good deeds before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And a lot of us think that we have been um, given the responsibility as Christians to live on this earth in such a way that God gets glory so that our, our audience is the world. I don't think we even fully understand, as you're about to see, God's plan is that the audience would not just be the world. The audience would be the whole universe and the spiritual realm, especially in all authority. Everything is really about Jesus, has been from the beginning, will be fulfilled in all of eternity. The center is Jesus. And for some reason, God has chosen to unite us in him through faith and we get to be a part of that glory. Now, again, we'll get to more of that way, way down the road. But go to Ephesians chapter 3 real quick and look at verse 10. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 says, actually we'll back up and we'll go, let's start in verse, uh, eight, verse 8. That'll help us. He says, to me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you see that? God's picture is much more than you just do your good deeds before men and they, they glorify God. Your, his intent that was now through the church, this has been his plan all along. Whenever the scripture says a mystery, it means it was kind of like a secret that has now been revealed. It's been his plan all along, but now God's been revealing what he's doing and his intent that was now through us, the manifold wisdom of God, God's glory, his greatness, his awesome plan that's been in works all along would be made known to who according to Ephesians 3 verse 10. To the spiritual authorities, where? In the heavenly realm. Have you ever thought about the fact that Peter talks about how angels long to look into this relationship that we've been given with God? Folks, as we begin to look at Ephesians here, really take a look at what it means that we've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I want you to understand you are a part of something that God has planned before the foundation of the world that is going to unite everything, making Jesus the center. And you are also in him. And somehow, some way, God is going to be displaying you and I for eternity to the spiritual authorities in the heavenly realms as a display of his glory. Now, let me just tell you. Wow. 
Wow. But it, oh, let me show you. There's more. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verses 20 and 21. There in chapter 3, verse 20, 20 and 21, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us and to him be, glo be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go to Colossians chapter 1. You're in Ephesians. Turn over to Philippians and then the next book's Colossians. Chapter 1, look at verses 15 through 20. Here it says, he, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. That sounds familiar, doesn't it, Allison? And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now we're going to be coming back to this passage a little bit later, and I'm going to show you something in here that I'm not going to get into just yet. But there's something in this passage that will help us deal with this whole predestination issue. But for right now, what I want you to understand is this. As we start to take a look at what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, as he's breaking down what are some of these spiritual blessings that we've been given in the heavenly places. The first thing that will help you understand what it is, is it all means that not only are we in Christ positionally, it's far more than that. Jesus is the center of everything that God has had in mind before he created the world and for eternity. It's all going to be centered in him. Now, before we get any further, I just want to say one thing, and then we'll start looking specifically at some of the things in this promise in verse 3. How should that make us feel as we go in this life through some of the struggles that we will experience? Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. If everything is about Him and for Him, and everything's held together by Him, should there really ever be a time that we think that things are out of control? But we do, don't we? Don't we feel like sometimes things are out of control? Don't we sometimes wonder if God even knows what's going on or why is this happening? And we say, God, hello, are you there? Is my prayer getting past the ceiling? Folks, I want you to be able to really understand this truth so that you can be set free. I want you to be able to stand in the midst of whatever's going on and be able to look like Jesus did at Pilate. When Pilate says, don't you realize I have the authority to have you put to death or to have you released? And Jesus just calmly said, look, you'd have no authority over me unless it were given to you by my father. You, you, you think you're big stuff, Pilate, but you don't understand. I'm looking beyond that, and my Father is in full control of everything, and nothing happens to me by accident. I'm in the center of His will. I am right with Him. I and He and I are one. And by the way, you and I have been given that same relationship now that we're in Christ. Folks, get this in your head. Nothing can happen to you now apart from the Father either orchestrating it. And remember, everything He does is for your best, even though it doesn't always feel good. He, nothing can happen to you unless He's orchestrated it or allowed it. And you need to be able to go through this life and say, this didn't catch God by surprise. And therefore, we're going to be all right. Will there be tears? Yeah, there'll be tears. We do grieve sometimes, but not like the rest of men who have no hope. We actually understand that there's a God who's in control and he's got this. People say uh, to me, they say, we're sorry for your loss. And I'll say, well, she's not lost. You, you know, my mom's not lost. I know exactly where she is. On top of that, I wouldn't want her back, especially not the condition she was at. If you were to come today and say, hey, we're going to take a trip on a cruise. People would say, good for you. My mom says, I get to go to heaven. Good for you. I want to come too. And God says, you will when it's my choice for you. I listened to Adrian Rogers today. He made a very interesting statement. He said, far more important to God is timing than time. We spend most of our time wondering, wondering when God's going to do it. Well, come on, God. Come on. We worry about the time. He said, far more important to God is timing than time. 
And he's in control of all time. He's in control of the timing. And do you, are you willing to lay down your desire to be God? Are you willing to lay down what Satan tempted Adam and Eve with? You can be God. You can be like God. You can determine right and wrong, good and evil. Would you please stop eating from that piece of fruit and trust that your God, who not only saved you in the only way that you could be made right before him and planned that before the creation of the world, and he's not only sealed you as his, he's got the rest too. Are we willing? Oh, by the way, it's going to be a daily struggle because our flesh still rears up. Our flesh still wants to be in charge. But when those times come when we start to question or worry or fret, understand this. He has got it. Remember a guy used to say that God's got it. God's got it. And if you're in Christ, you're good. You used to have a pastor that said, I, I like that guy. I like that guy. Here's what I want to do now. I want to look closely at God's eternal purpose has been to glorify His Son in the universe in the heavenly realm forever and ever and how we're in Him. But I want to look at it by some of the, the blessings in this promise of praise. Alright? He said that God's blessing is not a personal or a private one. Look at verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All right, now we just need to stop here. I want to pull some things out of this. The first thing is this. God's blessing is not a personal or a private thing, but a corporate one. Look how he says he's blessed us. By the way, this means that it's far more than a material thing. We, we hear the word blessing and we start thinking material things. Oh, I got a new car. God blessed me. Or I got a good job. God really blessed me. And you know how we talk about God blessed me. God blessed me. Yes. But this is a he blessed us in Christ. So there are some people that get a new car and some people that don't. Right. So this he's blessed us can't mean material stuff. This is a different thing that he's talking about here. This blessing is far more than that. Um, Paul saw God's blessing as continual no matter his physical condition. If you look, don't worry, I'm going to take for the sake of time to go there. But in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 and following, remember how he talks about how he knows the secret of being content. He said, I know it is to have plenty and I know it is to be in need. I've learned the secret of being content in each and every situation. What does it say, Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm content because I'm in Christ and Christ is in control and he's got it. It doesn't matter if I have a lot or a little. This blessing has nothing to do with a lot or a little materially. But you know most Christians have turned the teaching of God's blessing into physical stuff. Wow, I just got a raise. God blessed me. Well, you know what? You may think that he blessed you, but are you not blessed by God if you didn't get the raise? Do you understand what we've done? Any teaching that starts moving that if you have, then God's blessed you. And if you don't have, you have to go with God didn't bless you. Paul says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Therefore, this blessing can't be material. He's talking about something bigger than that. And better than that. Second thing I want you to pull out is this. This is a spiritual blessing. Now, I don't want you to see this as a vague or sentimental or ethereal, but real. Spiritual here simply means from God. All right. He's blessed us with spiritual blessing, it says. Now, John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And he said, God is what? Spirit. God is spirit. So here it's just simply talking about if it's a spiritual blessing, it's not some ethereal thing. It's actually talking about it's from God. It's real. That's what it's talking about. Now, sometimes God manifests his stuff in the physical, in the real realm. But this is more than just like we were talking about physical or material things. Also, I want you to understand this is a full and complete blessing. And this is important for us to grasp this. He said that we have received what? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, I just put in my notes here. Do we need to say any more? But there's, there's teaching out there in the church today that says you need a second blessing or you need another filling or you need to have someone lay hands on you and you get something else. Folks, let me remind you of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. When you got saved and Jesus came to live within you, 
You got it all. Now, we're learning how to appropriate what's there. We're learning how to access and live in it by faith. But don't fall prey in this truth of the fact that we are to learn how to live in the power of the Holy Spirit and walk in the Spirit and yield to the Spirit. Don't fall prey to anyone who tries to say, well, you're still lacking something. You've received every spiritual blessing already in Christ, and you've already gotten everything you need. And I want you to see something else. Go to Second Corinthians, sorry, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, and look at verse 9. It says in verse 9 of Colossians chapter 2, For in Him, meaning Jesus, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. What is that saying to us, folks? Jesus is all God, and you got all of Him. So do you need more? You don't need any extra something. There are those who say, well, you need the baptism of the Spirit. The Bible teaches without question that happens when you're put into Christ and Christ is put into you. Now, a lot of Christians don't know how to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't know how to yield to the Spirit of God and they try to serve God in the flesh and instead of the Spirit. But when the Bible talks about being baptized in the Spirit, he's not talking about a separate encounter. That happens at the moment that you receive Christ, because the scripture says, I've already shown you, you received, already received every spiritual blessing. You're not lacking something. You already have been given fullness in Christ, and everything we need for life and godliness has already been given to us through our knowledge of Him. So, you've already got everything you need. You've already gotten everything you need. It's right there. Now, there's also, this blessing is secure because of your relationship to God through Jesus Christ. Here it talks about the fact that we've been given every spiritual blessing. Why? Because we're in Christ and it also says that it's in the heavenly places. I'm going to tie these two together to kind of move things along here. In Christ and in the heavenly places. In the heavenly places, or more accurately, some of your translations say in the heavenlies, refers not to geography, but to relationship. Wherever God is, there your blessing is and comes from and is secure. I don't want you to think that your blessing is in heaven, geography. Remember, is God somewhere but not here? He's everywhere. God's spirit, there ain't nowhere he isn't. So this is not talking about geography because you can't even put geography with God. This is talking about relationship. And because we are in Christ and it's a spiritual blessing, which is from God, it is always available. It's always with us and it's secure. I want you to see this. Go to Romans 5. Look at verses 1 and 2. Romans 5 verses 1 and 2. And then we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Romans 5. Look at 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we re re rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, there might be someone in this room, and I hope after all these years of you listening to me teach, this isn't the case, but there might be someone in here that if someone were to ask you, if you were died, would you go to heaven, that you might say, I hope so. Too many Christians today answer that question with, I hope so. You don't understand what you've been given if you say, I hope so. You can say, yes, and I know so. And it has nothing to do with me and everything to do with Jesus. I am at peace with God. I can stand in this grace that he's given me because of my relationship with him through Christ. I am secure. I'm set. And it even gets more than that. Go to for, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I have some really good friends that I love and respect, and, and, they, and they serve the Lord wonderfully. But unfortunately, they still think that it's possible for you to lose your salvation. And it's one of the worst ways to live when the scriptures are so clear. Look at, listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. It says, it is God, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21, it is God who establishes, establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Who establishes you in Christ? Is it you? No, it's God. Who's the one holding on to your salvation? God, not you. And it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus. You can't lose it, folks. And the Bible says he gives you his spirit as a guarantee. How horrible would it be if God were to break guarantees? 
I could go on and list for you scripture upon scripture upon scripture that is so clear that once you are in him, if you've received his spirit, you are secure. You've received every spiritual blessing in Christ and it's all in the heavenly places. Folks, now, wouldn't it be kind of cool to find out what some of this is? Well, let's start taking a look at it now by starting to break down uh, where we've just left. All right. As we go on now to unlock the next verses and we wrestle with the things that some people are trying to make them say, we must remember to look at the whole context like I was just talking about and then the whole of Scripture to get a correct interpretation. Remember, Jesus' glory is God's eternal plan. All right. Now, in this passage back here in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that God in love chose us to be holy and blameless through Christ before the foundation of the world. I want you to see that again. God in love chose us to be holy and blameless through Christ before the foundation of the world. This is what Paul is saying here. He says, man, God chose before the foundation of the world to make you holy and blameless in Christ. Here's what's happened. People have taken this truth and they have extrapolated from there with human reasoning and they say, well, if God chose us, then he must not have chose the ones that aren't going. That's not what this passage is saying. And I'll show you against the whole of Scripture. That can't be what it's saying. So this passage, as much as it talks about God's choosing, it's talking about the fact that God chose before the foundation of the world that those who would come to him would come to him through who? Through Christ. And he chose ahead of time that we would be holy and blameless through Christ. That's what was chosen. Whenever you study the scriptures and you look at the word predestined, and you'll see this in a little bit, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. Nowhere in scripture does the scripture ever say that who would be saved has been predestined. It talks about the what or aspect of the how aspect of salvation. Now it does in the sense of, well, let me just give you this illustration. Remember back in the story of Gideon when God comes and says, look, I want to use you to defeat the Midianites. He has, he, you double check me. The scripture says that God's spirit empowered Gideon to round up 32,000 men. Of course, in the, the Bible says the Midianites, you couldn't even count. And, but God empowered Gideon to round up 32,000 men, and then God says, okay, you got too much. Now, that's an interesting thing, that God empowered him to get that many, and then God says, now you're going to have to send some people home. God's got his reasons for what he does at all times. Get off the throne, leave him on it, and let him just do what he wants to do. He says, look, you just tell anybody that's afraid they're free to go home. So Gideon says, hey, God says, if anybody you're kind of a little scared, you're free to go. 22,000 people say, thank you very much. And they left. He's down to 10,000. And God says, you still got too many. Remember, the power's in who? And we sit there, we look at our bank accounts, and we look at our situation, and we say, it can't work. When are we going to believe that what God says he will do if we'll trust him and stop trying to fix it ourselves. God says, you still got too much. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to have them go down to the river and I want you to have them drink. And the ones who drink in this manner are the ones I've chosen. The ones who drink in the other manner are the ones I haven't chosen. And when that was all said and done, there were only 300 left. But hang on for a second. What did God choose who was going to be in that group of 300? Or did he choose the method in which they would be chosen? Did you catch that? They were free to drink however they wanted. Oh, of course he knows. They were still free. It didn't remove their freedom to drink however they wanted. He had chosen the method by which he would choose. And you will see this in the scriptures all the way through. When the Bible talks about God's election and God's choosing, it's talking about the method in which he has chosen to make his choice, which he chose before the foundation of the world. I'm going to get a little ahead of myself here in my notes, but if you go back and look at Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11, and when it talks about God's choosing and these passages that some people use to say that God's chosen some to go to heaven and he's chosen some to go to hell. You go back and reread them along this line. Paul says, I wish that all Israel would be saved. My heart is that they would be saved. If I could go to hell and they be saved, that's how much I wish that, that I want them to be saved. And can you even imagine saying that? I want my fellow people to be so saved so badly that I'm willing to go to hell so they can go. He said, but the problem is 
God has already chosen how it's to be done, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ, and they're still trying to earn it. And therefore, they're going to miss out. And then he gives all these illustrations. They got no problem with God's choosing when he chose them to be his people. They got no problem when he chose Jacob instead of Esau. They got no problem with his making choices when it comes to them and making them feel good. Why do they got a problem with the fact that he chose that it would be by grace and through faith and not through their own effort? And then you go back and I'll show you as we wrap up here tonight some of those passages. It just simply says the reason why Israel is not, or his people at that time were going to be rejected wasn't because they weren't chosen. It was because they didn't respond in the manner in which God had chosen for people to be saved. The 300 who drank from the water were not the ones that he chose. They're the ones who responded in the way that he had already chosen would be the way he chooses to choose. Do you understand that? Does that make sense? I'm going to trust the spirit of God because I don't think I could even say that again to you. But they were the ones who responded in the way in which God had chosen to make his choice. And what Paul's saying is, is this. God in love chose before the foundation of the world that we would be able to come to him through Jesus Christ and be holy and blameless. And that was his plan all along and no other way. Oh, by the way, that means that salvation through faith in Jesus isn't plan B. The law wasn't plan A and it didn't work. He knew the law wasn't going to work. He actually set the law up to show us what he already knew. It can't save you. Jesus has always been plan A. It's the only plan. And that's when his plan. So let's, let's, let's just keep going. Look at how many times God uses the term according to his purpose, or Paul uses the term according to God's purpose. Look at verse five. In verse five of chapter one of Ephesians, he goes on and he says, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. This has been his plan all along. Look at verse nine. In verse nine, he says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Look at verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. By the way, in this day and age in which we live, you're going to run a lot across a lot of people that say, well, you Christians can think that what your way to God is through Jesus, but there's lots of ways to God. No, we've got to be willing to stand up and say, look, Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Folks, God's word says very clearly this has been his purpose and his will all the way from the beginning. He's working everything in accordance with the purpose of his will. And I'm tired of hearing Christians say, well, there might be other ways. No, there isn't. Well, that's a bigoted statement. No, it's not bigoted. It's truth. Amen. It's, uh, we're not to be offensive or to be rude, but the gospel is offensive to those who are perishing. They don't like it. Amen. The reason they don't like it is Jesus himself said they're not his. He went and stood before the Jews and he said, your father's the devil. They said, we only have father. Abraham is our father. They said, no, your father's the devil. The reason you don't listen to me, Jesus said, is because you don't belong to God. The ones that believe or the ones that listen belong to God. And folks, I want you to understand something. We have to get secure in the fact that you can't just say, well, that's my way to God. It's the only way. And everything's being worked according to the purpose of his will, which he planned before the foundation of the earth. And that only way we could be right is through Jesus Christ. Then, as I touched on earlier, by God revealing the mystery of his will or the secret of his will or eternal plan and doing so revealing that he chose and predestined that it would be in love he did it remember God so loved the world in and it still be through Christ and according to his purpose and his plan listen nowhere in this passage does it say that the lost or those rejected or those that, sorry that reject the offer were not chosen Again, any kind of teaching that goes down that road actually is taking human logic and they're extrapolating and they're building a doctrine that doesn't line up with Scripture. And I'm about to show you what I'm talking about. Go with me to John chapter 3, verse 16. I want you to see it for yourself. We can quote it, but I want you to look at it. 
John chapter 3, verse 16. Look at what Jesus says to Nicodemus. It says, For God so loved who? The world. The world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why is the whoever believes in him should have, have eternal everlasting life? Because that was his plan from the beginning. What has he chosen? He's chosen that those who would come to him would come through Jesus Christ. He's predestined us to be adopted through Christ. That's the plan. It's been the plan all along. But does that mean he doesn't love the people that reject him? No. The Bible says he even knew that Judas was never one of them from the beginning, but he continued to reach out to him, continued to pursue him in love. He actually called him friend when he came. He said, friend, what are, why have you come? He, he went to the nation of Israel knowing full well they were going to reject him. And the Bible says that when he stood over Jerusalem, after he rode in on the donkey, and he wept. He wept. Listen to what he says in Matthew 23. He says, if you only you had let me. If you would have let me, I would have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. Listen, but you weren't willing. Did they have a choice? Yes, they had a choice. God loves the world. Bible says he's not willing for anyone to perish. Now, again, the folks that lean in the direction of thinking that God's chosen some for hell and some for heaven, they think they're smarter than us and we're gonna, they're going to think we're ignoramuses and we're, folks, just be willing to understand the whole of Scripture. But let me show you some more Scriptures that kind of illustrate this even more. Go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 and look at verse 2. And 1 John chapter 2, look at verse 2. He says, he is the propitiation, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Do you see that? There are some who say Jesus died only for the ones who were chosen. Folks, listen, they're using human logic, and they say, well, if Jesus died for everybody, but not everybody gets to heaven, then his death wasn't sufficient. Well, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture just says that Jesus died for everybody, not just for our sins, but also sins of the whole world. Oh, then they'll start saying things like, well, all doesn't mean all. <laughs> Folks, I want you to look at the whole of scripture. Don't take what Jim has to say. I want you to wrestle with this for yourself. I want you to look at it. What does the scripture say about who God is and how his plan works? Go to Colossians chapter one. Remember I told you we we're going to come back to that passage. Go back there and look again at what it says. There was an aspect of that passage that I didn't bring out on purpose, but I want to bring it out now. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. It says, For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself, what? What's this next? What does it say? All things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, this word starts to get a little tricky for us, and I want you to stick with me here. And I'm going to show you another passage in 2 Corinthians that kind of goes along this same line. The scripture says that when God was in Christ reconciling the world, he was reconciling everything through what he did. What Jesus did on the cross was sufficient to save everyone in the whole world. It was, he was reconciling all things through Jesus. Years ago, um, I don't even know how long it's been, Ken, you, Ken and I went to a, a, a Grace Walk conference with Steve McVeigh in Atlanta. And Ken and I went up there and uh, we went to the conference and Ken was, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Steve McVeigh was teaching from Ephesians 1. And if you've ever done any of the Grace Walk stuff, you'll understand that he teaches about how to live in the power of God and the grace of God and, and the love of God. And I'm sitting there and he's teaching on Ephesians 1 and he's teaching on Ephesians 1 in such a way that I'm sitting there going, oh no. I think he's teaching predestination and Calvinism. I hate to even use the word Calvinism, by the way, because Calvin's been accused of things that he probably didn't even believe. But at the first break, because I'm sitting there with a the bellyache going, how does this match up? I, I stopped and I went up to Steve during the break and I said, look, please understand where I'm coming from. I'm not one of these wackos that wants to argue predestination and free will with you. I'm, I'm one of these people and I explained my background and I said, I've looked at this. And I just need to know, are you coming at this passage from this angle or from this angle? He said, well, I'm going to tell you something. He said, I used to be Calvinist. He said, I used to be one of the strongest ones. But then I came to realize that it didn't match up with the whole of Scripture and, and who God really is. 
And he said, I'm going to say something to you that may shock you. And I said, what's that? He said, I think that God has already forgiven everybody in the whole world. He said, please don't hear me wrong. He said, I'm not saying that everybody gets to go to heaven. He said, they still must choose to respond in faith to receive this offer of free gift. But he said, I don't think that the Bible teaches that we ask God and then he forgives. I think the Bible says that what Jesus was doing on the cross has made it possible and God has already forgiven. Remember Jesus cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they were doing. He was praying for their forgiveness before they even asked. He says, I think their world's already forgiven. They have to receive it. You know what? I think that's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is not if you ask God, he'll forgive you. The message of the gospel is he's already forgiven you. It's already been paid for. It's already been done. You just got to receive it. You got to acknowledge your need and just receive it. And listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and tell me that that isn't what Paul was saying here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verses 18 through 21. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 18, Paul says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling who the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses, he doesn't say our trespasses, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. In other words, on God's side of the ledger, it's paid for. You're reconciled, all you got to do is receive it. Our message should be just receive it. Believe it by faith. Understand your sin. Turn from him and receive it. And that should be our message. God loves you. That's why he sent his son. Yet when the world hears us preach, what do they hear? You horrible, rotten person. God's mad. But if you do this, then God will get nice to you. Oh, no. The judgment day will come when they reject what he's offered. But listen to what the Bible says. That's why the Bible says that it'll be even more severe after all their opportunities because they've trampled on the offer of the blood of his son. If they were never offered it because he only died for the ones who were gonna be saved, the people who have rejected it didn't trample on it because it was never offered to them. Did you catch that? They didn't have a choice. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that those who reject have added another sin to their list, and it's a more severe one. The rejection of his offer. John 3.18. They stand condemned already because they haven't, but it's, because, it's of because of their choice. Folks, I want you to understand this passage here that has been used so many years to say God chose us and therefore he didn't choose them. That's not what it's saying. Look at the fact, the center of God's plan has been Jesus from the beginning and will be for eternity. And we're going to get to more of that down the road and how we're in him and we're going to be glorified with him and we're co-heirs. And if his whole plan is at the end of the world that everybody says, wow, Jesus, we're going to be there too. I'm looking forward to that day because some of you don't wow me right now, but one day you will. <laughs> I couldn't just go without a crack at some point. Here's what I want you to do now with, with me in the time that we have left. I want, like I touched on in Romans, if you, I want you to go back and look at it for yourself. Go back to Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11 on your own and look closely. Paul is just saying, look, God has made a choice. He does make choices. And he chose Jacob over Esau. He chose this and that. And you Jews have got no problem with that. Why do you have a problem with the fact that his choice was that the only way you can be reconciled is through faith in Jesus Christ? And I'm going to show you a couple passages that bring this out. Romans chapter 9, look at verses 30 through 33. Romans 9, verses 30 through 33. He says, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. 
They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Look at what he says. They missed out. Why? It wasn't because they weren't chosen. It was because they didn't respond in the way that God had chosen, and that was by faith. They tried to do it another way. Remember the story Jesus tells in Matthew 22 about the parable of the wedding banquet and how the people were coming in and they're invited in and they were given robes to wear. And back then in that day, when you went to a party or went to a wedding banquet, the master of the house would give you a robe to wear. And it under, that was kind of like your ticket. And then he said someone came in and he didn't have on a robe. In other words, I don't need the master's covering. My clothes are good enough. And what happened to him? He was cast out. Folks, here, he doesn't say that Israel didn't get it because they weren't chosen. They didn't pursue it by faith, which was how God had chosen before the foundation of the world that it would be. How come Abraham was given righteousness? Because he had faith in what God said. All the way through the scripture, it's been that play in all along. And God also, because God's outside of time, knew that Jesus' death was going to reconcile all the sins of the Old Testament people that responded by faith. It was available for everybody as well, but the ones who were going to enter into it were the ones who responded by faith because God was taking care of it in Christ and reconciling everything. Let me show you one other passage. Go to Romans chapter 11, look at verses 33 through 30, or 30 through 32. Romans 11, 30 through 32. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy, talking about Gentiles, because of their disobedience, meaning the Jews, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned who? All to disobedience, that he may have mercy on who? All, and all means all. Do you see that? He wants to have mercy on all. He wants to give it to you. He's actually paid for it. It's already taken care of. You need to respond in faith. So back in Ephesians 1, let me read it to you again now. And tell me if it doesn't read a little more clearly now. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Nowhere is he saying just us. It's available to all. But he's predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him. Remember, what was predestined? His purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What was his purpose? His purpose before the foundation of the world that everything would be centered in Christ and those that respond in faith to Christ would be united in him and glorified forever and ever. That was his purpose. That was predestined. Everybody gets to choose, yet the ones who get to be saved are the ones who respond in their choice according to the way that he chose that they had to choose. I got it, I said it again. <laughs> So that we might, who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And folks, that's how we're going to wrap up tonight. And that's how I want to close. The question is this. I'm not going to ask you, did you pray a prayer? I'm not gonna ask you, did you walk an aisle? I'm not gonna ask you, did you cry a tear in a church service? I'm not gonna ask you, were you baptized? I'm gonna ask you a simple question. Has God given you his spirit? I don't want you to say, I believe, 
Because the demons believe. It don't mean nothing. John chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, the Bible says, When they saw the miracles that he had performed, many believed in his name, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them because he knew the heart of all men. He knew what was in man. He knew it wasn't real faith. He knew it was a, it was a the parable of the soils that the soil sprung up and it looked like salvation, but trouble came and it went away because it wasn't real salvation. Or it could be a rocky, a thorny soil conversion in which it sprung up and sure looked like salvation, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth, this life choked it and it wasn't real salvation. My question for you is this, do you have his spirit guaranteeing that you're his? Because we can sit here and talk about all the wonderful blessings we have in Christ and it's not for you if you don't have his spirit. And that's what I want you to make sure you know. Not, I believe, I think I'm all right. Folks, he will speak to your heart if you're not his, because he is still loving, lovingly pursuing all that aren't. The same Jesus who stood on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. I want them to know me. That same Jesus is still pursuing you if you're in this room and you've never been saved. But don't put it off, because if you understand the scriptures, time is running real close. To the return of Jesus. Praise the Lord for that, but you wouldn't be saying woohoo if you're, if you're not saved. If you're able to sit, if you were, if you're sitting here though and the idea of Jesus coming back scares you a little bit, good. Get it settled. Get it settled. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for the fact that your word, if we're willing to take the time to look at it in its context and compare it against the whole of scripture, we'd see that even though we can't fully understand how you do all things, we can see your purpose and your will. And it's been revealed. It says, your word shows us that it's been revealed to us. And that you were, your plan is to unite everything through Jesus Christ. And you planned that before the foundation of the world. Oh, Lord, how you accomplish your purposes? We can't say we didn't understand that. We don't. But we do know this. You've made clear to us that the only way we can be made right with you is that through Jesus Christ. And I pray for two things today, that if there's anybody here that has never gotten to that point or anyone listening right now online, that they would make sure that it's settled today. And that, Lord, the Bible says and your word says that there's evidence of your spirit within us. The evidence of your spirit will be the fact that you're loving and you're kind and you're patient and you're gentle. And there's self-control. Lord, may there be that evidence of your spirit within us to show us that we're yours. Your word says in, in Romans chapter eight that your spirit confirms it with our spirit that we're your children. Lord, for those who aren't yours tonight, may that get settled. May you show them they're not and may they trust you and receive your spirit. But for those of us who are, Lord, may we start hanging on to the fact that not only that we're secure in you, but now we're not only in you positionally, but we are united Wow, I can't even fathom it, how you have lavished so much on Jesus and we get to be a part of that. Lord, I look forward to that day when it all makes sense and we get to experience it in its fullness. But between now and then, may I live in this life and may we live in this life like we believe that we're actually in you and that you're in full control. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all.